Well, hey, everybody, let me, let me start off by greeting everybody online or wherever you're watching from. I've been talking to people that are watching while they're driving, and I think we should have a conversation about this. <laughs> so if you are driving right now, if you're the one operating the motor vehicle, I hope you're only listening, not watching. Uh, we are, have been in a series talking about how do we connect our, our beliefs, because many of us, what, we're, we're gathering in some way to say God's of value in some way to us. We're, we're seeking or we're worshiping or we're investigating. But how do we take our beliefs and connect them to our behaviors? That's what this whole series is about. And I want to finish it. Uh, and I'm going to take you right there, right at the very beginning. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. See, sometimes we think the Bible is complicated. I would argue that this one is not. Uh, the beginning of wisdom. What is it? Uh, get it. Uh, though it costs all you have, get understanding. You'll note something here, hopefully. It's not talking about exclusive knowledge. It's talking about wisdom, and there's a significant difference here. So in this series, we've kind of highlighted uh, each week uh, an, an issue that gets between us and God. If you want any kind of relationship with God, it You've got to look at variables that you and I allow in our lives that, that sometimes we, not on purpose, it's not even an act of rebellion. It's just kind of like, oops, this is happening. I feel distance from God. If you've ever felt that way, like God is far away from you or not super close to you, and you're like, what's happening? This series has addressed that, so let's go after this week's. Uh, an unteachable attitude. If you've not been a part of the series, Mistaken identity, unhealthy portions, apathy plus temptation, and this week, unteachable attitude. Here is the spoiler alert. This sermon is a test. If I'm going to preach on unteachable attitude, at least with your faces, for those of you who are with me, you are being tested right now. How teachable are you? If you're offended by the sermon, there's your sign, Okay. So uh, I don't know how teachable you are. Some of us, I, I feel like it's, it's easy for some of us where we're like, yeah, I got a ton to learn and please help me. And then at least you know a friend or someone that maybe you work with that if you tell them how to do anything, it like blows up and it's the worst thing ever. And you, each of us have a list of defensive people in our lives. And I know none of us are, but I'm just worth thinking about all these other people. And, and so that's what we've got to go after. If you want to walk with God in a genuine relationship, get outside of religion, you've got to say like, well, how teachable am I? Like, how much instruction do I let actually make it to my mind and my heart? Uh, let me give you an example. Uh, there is a hospital, is a hospital in, in London uh, where they do like major, major surgeries. Like, like they do transplants and like life-saving uh, moments. And, and so they spent 12 hours in this particular surgery. Uh, the head doctor details it this way, that they, they got done, they were exhausted, and he especially was like, I need a break. And so here's what he did for a break. He went and just went into a, a special room they had where they could relax, and there was a TV, turned the TV on. And, and, on, and on the TV what was a race. I don't know if you like racing, maybe you don't. I've, I like NASCAR. I feel like I should confess that to you because some people get really weird by that. Anyways, uh, so he actually was not watching NASCAR. He was watching what's called Formula One racing. And, and, and as he was watching it, if you don't know anything about racing, the cars go in a circle, yes. And 
Uh, anyways, those cars have to stop at some point to get new tires and gas and stuff like that. And, and so you pull into your spot and there's a pit crew. And I went, here's a Formula One pit crew. Uh, now, the reason I picked this picture is it numbers them. Huh? It's, it's, so it should help you. If, if you're not good at following, it's fine. Um, there are 21 people in this picture. There are 21 people who have some sort of a responsibility in the race. One is particularly is driving. The rest of them have, have jobs. And so this doctor who just got done with a super long surgery, saving someone's life, he knew of an issue they had. And here is the issue. When they got done with their surgeries, it took well over 30 minutes for them to get that patient to where that patient needed to be. And oftentimes, in their rush to get the patient to where the patient needed to be, errors happened. And they found that they had a significant amount of hurtful errors happening to these patients. And as the doctor is sitting there exhausted watching this race and watching them bring in this multi-million dollar vehicle and in seven seconds fill it up with gas, change the tires, wash down stuff, fix stuff, do a diagnostic, he's like, maybe there's something for us to learn. So here's what the doc did. Not to the happiness of the people he worked with. He called up a couple of these racing teams and asked that the leaders of the pit crews come and consult with the doctors and the nurses, the professionals, on how to run an ER room, right? They're the professionals, the trainers. If you ever go to an ER because you need stitches or something, you're assuming in your head they all know what they're doing. But what you're also assuming is this, is if they don't know, they will learn. And so what happened was uh, they, they had these people come in and consult, and they knew nothing about surgery. I mean, that's a shocker. Yeah. They, they're like, I mean, they probably smelled like oil and gasoline, but they come, they come in. And, but what they knew was how to work on complicated systems to create something that needed to be done fast, well, and without injuring anybody. So they took the advice of these racing crews and cut in half the errors that were occurring on the patients, getting them to where they needed to get going. A doctor who has so much schooling and experience being willing to say, we don't know how to do everything we need to do. Is that you? Have you landed at a spot that you think that you know all that you need to know about a certain thing? If so, this is your sign from God saying, let's learn together. Uh, I like basketball. John Wooden, if you don't know, he's a, probably one of the best coaches ever, says, it's what you learn after you know it all that counts. Huh? Expected some parents' amens. I'm sorry. I, <laughs> right? I, uh, it's what you learn after you know it all that counts. If, uh, the older you get, you'll be like, oh, oh yeah. I mean, I, when I was 18, I actually tried to coach my parents on how to do certain things. And uh, okay, and now mine does. And it's wonderful and fascinating, really it is. But you and I have got to say, and this is difficult, because if you're right now in a stage of defensiveness, you have to be willing to admit, because we've all been defensive at some moment with something, 
where you didn't want to hear what you needed to hear. You didn't want to learn what you needed to learn. We've all been there. No one that I've ever met just always constantly welcomes always the, the advice, the criticism, the constructive whatever. That There becomes these moments you're like, just not in the mood. Well, if you're not in the mood at the right times, you can find yourself distant from God going, what's the problem? He's like, He's, you're not listening to me. There were some uh, trends, I would say, with the early Christians. I don't know if you ever think about the early Christians and on how they thought, what they did, how they functioned with you know, Jesus and all that kind of stuff. And, and let, me, let me just show you some basic trends. Now, send messengers to Joppa and, and summon a man named Simon Peter. These are, these are kind of the early Christians going, okay, we need some help. He, he is staying in the home of Simon, a, a tanner who lives near the seashore. So difficult for me to say. I am very proud of myself right now. Anyways. <laughs> So I sent for you at once. I sent for you at once. Simon Peter, I sent for you, and, and it was good of you to come. Now, we are all here waiting before God to hear the message the Lord has given you. Now, that just gives you a, a brief example of the posture of Christians going, we have things to learn, and we are anxious to learn them. Do you as a Christian have that same posture? Let me show you some more. This is all through. I'm just picking a couple. As Paul and Barnabas left the synagogue that day, the people begged them to speak about these things again the next week. Can I divulge something to you that I don't know if I've ever said out loud? I mean, this has kind of been that series where I'm divulging everything. I've at times been tempted with the concept of preaching about three to five sermons and just redoing them over and over and over until at least the majority of us say, I got it. <laughs> Apparently, that used to be an old tradition where they're like, would you come back and would you preach the same thing? Would you tell us the same thing? Because we want to make sure that we get it. As a Christian, do you hold that same posture? Sometimes as Christians, we become consumers of information and we find that ourselves are unteachable. We just want something new and fresh rather than just to do what we already know. So I want to tell you a story. Uh, it's in the Bible. It's in, uh, actually here, let me just start reading it to you. In 2 Kings chapter 5, now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master. And, and when this is master, some of us are like, what? That's no. no that's a way they're referring to his king. Okay, uh, He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him, the Lord had given him victory to Aram. He, he was a valiant soldier. Get this, but watch this. But he had leprosy. We don't have time to go into all that leprosy is. It's just, you know, an incurable disease that was horribly tragic. And it was, it was the worst news possibly that you could ever get physically, that if someone, if you found out, if you woke up and you're like, oh no, I've got stuff on my skin, it usually meant that you've got leprosy and you're going to be ostracized, but also you were going to die. It was absolutely incurable. Imagine this. You, you learn that you have an incurable disease, okay? Depressing thought, I'm aware. What would you be willing to do to be cured? Think about that for a second. Just what would you be willing to do if, if you had an incurable disease, if all of a sudden the doctor gave you the worst of the worst news, what would you be willing to do? Well, he learns about a guy who could potentially heal him. So he goes to the king. He's like, king, there's a dude I hear. Rumor has it 
that if I go visit this dude, prophet, I'm changing the words, but if he goes to visit this guy, that this guy can heal him. So uh, he asked the king, by, and the king's like, by all means, go. The king of Ramah replied, I, I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So, so Naaman left, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of clothing, basically a ton of money and goods to pay for this healing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, with this letter I'm sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. You got that? You, I think we're all on the same page. This guy has leprosy. It's incurable. He gets told in the midst of a conversation, there's a dude who can heal him. So he loads up some cash, basically. And he's like, I'm going to go get healed. I mean, in theory, like this is the most amazing, epic thing. All you got to do is go visit the guy. The guy's like, poof. Harry Potter wand, sorry, no, actually not, but, but like, you're healed, like, you're good, and this, here's some money, it's a transaction, this is amazing. Huh. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house, this is the guy. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh, because my skin disease, will be restored, and you will be cleansed. I mean, come on. You go to the doctor. The doctor tells you, you are going to die. This is incurable. But you go meet a guy who's got, uh, actually, uh, here's the deal. Um, God's going to heal you. Uh, you know that river? Go to the river seven times, dip, have fun. You're healed. What would you do? Some of you are like, what do you mean, what would I do? Be careful with your answer. What would you do? I'll show you what Naaman did. But Naaman went away angry. I'll explain for those of you who are like, this makes no sense. You're going to die. And went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me. That's important. I'll come back to that. And stand and call in the name of the Lord, his God, his God. That's important too. Wave his hand over the spot and cure me. See, Harry Potter, you thought I was joking. Apparently, he knew about Harry Potter before Harry Potter was ever written about. Anyways, and cure me of my leprosy. Uh, are not Abana and, and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, if you don't know about that area, it's, this is epically beautiful at this time, better than all the waters of Israel. Basically, you're telling me Jordan River, have you heard about this other place? It's fantastic. Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. Let me just help you in case you have been distracted in some way. There's a guy, he has leprosy, he's going to die. It is incurable. He has no hope whatsoever. He has a random conversation with a woman who tells him, hey, no, actually there is a guy who can heal. He gets permission from his king and that king for them to meet up. And all of a sudden, the guy's like, sure, here's what you do. You just go dip in that river seven times. You're good to go. You're healed. It's going to be awesome. But we find him now leaving in a rage. Why? Hmm. Naaman's arrogance. He was an arrogant man. Uh, and his arrogance gave him an unteachable attitude. Now, this is where some of us start to get offended because you're like, Pastor David, just call me. Arrogant, because it's easier to say I'm not as teachable as I should. It's very difficult to say I'm arrogant. Huh? Let me give you some explanation like I told you I would. 
Naaman's arrogance. A messenger instead of Elisha. Elisha is the prophet, the man of God. This rich dude goes, he's got tons of money. He's like, I want this guy to heal me. I want the legit guy. I want the guy. I want like, come on, the, this sounds like mob kind of talk, but I, I want the guy and I want to be face to face with the guy. And Elisha sends his messenger. If, if, you're, if you have a tinge of, of arrogance in you, you typically walk into any environment with expectation. You walk into that environment going, they better. They should. I expect. I demand. And he did that in this. So he was mad. I read it to you. He was mad that Elisha didn't come out himself. He sent the messenger, forgetting the fact that all the dude wants is healed, right? Uh, the river part. Uh, if, you, if you've ever looked at the Jordan River, I've been in the Jordan River. It's absolutely disgusting. Like when I, I some people are like, I want to go to Israel to be baptized, which we do that. We lead people to get baptized in Jordan River. And that afterwards, they're like, yeah, that was gross. That was, it's, it's, it's not clear water. It's, it's like brown, muddy water. But also, it's where you take your animals to poop and pee, okay? It is also where people would wash their clothes. It's where you would often dump stuff. It is smelly. It is gross. And this dude knew it. And he's like, the Jordan, What? And that's why he brought up, he's like, I know some other cleaner places. He's got an incurable disease. And we find a dude that's destined to die, willing to die because he doesn't like how clean the water is and who gave him the news. Sounds unteachable to me. Let me give you some connections and some words. Arrogance, I brought it up. Unteachable, brought it up. But now that you know Naaman's story, missed opportunity, right? Let me give you wisdom from a 43-year-old man. The amount of people that talk to me about the missed opportunities they've had and how they've been robbed by other people, by their bosses, by society, by culture, by the church, by you just come up with whatever. The amount of people who told me how many missed opportunities that were stripped from them that end up revealing that they're actually unteachable people. Don't be that person. In fact, there is a, a good side to this story. Uh, Naaman's servants went to him and said, um, my father, that was like a very polite way, sir, master, guy who could hurt us. If the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? Think about the movies you've seen, right? Go to the top of the mountain, get this special flower that only gypsies grow and blah, blah, blah. You know what I'm talking Right? And you want, give me, give me the track that I want to take. That's what we want in our lives. Give me the job I want to. Give me the challenge that I want. Give me the role that I want. Give me the money that I want. The relationship that I Give me what I've dreamt of. And that's what they're pointing out to him. If you had given some mighty, beautiful story like, oh, you would have done this. How much more then? When he tells you, wash and be cleansed. So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him. And guess what? And his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. What are you missing out because you're defensive right now? What are you missing? Sometimes you're like, well, I don't have a good boss or I don't have a this. Or my parents, boy, my parents, my parents. 
And, and, and many of us do this, and, and, and we wrestle with this, and I get this, and, but, but whoever is in leadership of you and is around you and is instructing you, sometimes we evaluate them so much that we're missing opportunities. You want to be a Christian that walks with God, you've got to be willing to actually deal with some of the stuff he tells you that you do not like. So here's how I want to finish the sermon. What's the Bible say about teachability? Let's pretend this concept that you and I are in a classroom right now and you're about to take tons of notes. <laughs> what notes would you write down? Well, here's what the Bible says. Teachability. Uh, seek out wisdom. Don't wait for it to arrive in your mailbox. Don't wait for it to arrive in your feed. Don't wait for it to be texted to you. Seek it out. Go find it. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God. Notice he doesn't say, if you want wisdom, don't worry. I already downloaded it. You got it. You need to ask me. If you need wisdom, Ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. Whew. Now, most of us are like, cool, I'll ask God. I'm not going to ask anyone else, but God sounds good. I ask God all the time. Be careful. Watch this. The next verse says something that many of us miss. Uh, but when you ask him, but when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. That's weird. But wait, I'll explain. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. In other words, you know what this verse is telling you? That ask God for wisdom, but be prepared that when he tells you the answer and he gives you the wisdom, you may not like it and it will require faith of you to actually do what he told you to do. See, sometimes we ask God and he tells us, and we're like, that's obviously not an answer from God. No way. Uh -uh. Do you ever get a prompting in your head to go do something for someone that may seem insignificant? It may, maybe no one will see. Do you ever get a prompting to actually encourage someone, do something, get involved in some way that you don't listen to because you're like me and you're able to argue it? or ignore it, uh, and find another thing to do, I'm telling you, those are teachable moments that I often think God is actually not necessarily trying to save the life of that person. He's trying to see how teachable you are. Okay, let's keep going. Teachability. Practice listening. You've been doing such a wonderful job. Now, these words are chosen on purpose, practice listening. I don't think listening is natural. I know some people go, you know, you're such a good listener. And most people, if you don't know this, actually, every human being actually wants to be heard. It's built in us that we want to be heard. We want to be heard. Some people practice it and get good at it. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Do not miss how the Bible is written. Oftentimes, when you read the Bible, one of the ways to learn what it's saying is, what does it say first? Well, here it was, it says first, you must all be quick to listen. So practice listening. Here's your assignment. Don't talk as much this next week. Just sit and painfully listen. Because it's painful when you're practicing. Sorry, just giving you honest feedback. Jesus uh, said this, Jesus replied, but, but even more blessed are all who hear the word of God and put it into practice. Now, uh, Christians get often judged for not putting it into practice, right? 
Uh, and we're like, yeah, yeah, we need, we need more to put it into practice. This whole series is about putting it into practice, so I'm not hating. I wanted to point out in this that what it says first, though, uh, those who hear the word of God. We now live in a culture right now who's trying to put into practice what God has said, and there are things that God actually never <clears throat> said. It's because we didn't listen to him. We took our opinions, and we're practicing it. Yeah! It's not turning out right. Listen to God, then do what God wants. Let's keep going. Teachability. Give authority. Now, this is going to need some explanation. But People who despise advice are asking for trouble. Those who respect a command. Those who respect a command. Now, some of you are immediately thinking about those who literally give you your paychecks or those who pay the bills at your home that you live in. Or, you know, okay, but be careful with this. Those who respect the command will succeed. Those who respect the command will succeed. The instruction of the wise is like a life-giving fountain. Those who accept it avoid the snares of death. Those who respect a command. I'm going to harp on this. Those do you know that you can actually give someone authority in your life that does not pay you a paycheck? That also did not birth you? Do you know that you can have people in your life that you are actually saying, you, I mean, you can't really, I guess, punish me. You, I mean, you can't call my mom and dad. You, you can't, like, do anything to me. However, I'm giving you authority in my life. I've got this in my life. That's what's weird about it. Since the day I've been born, I've had authority in my life. Uh, I had mom and dad and all that and didn't do well with it all the time. But I can tell you right now, if, if, if this is your church, you need to know right now, I've got people in my life that I have actually granted. I have given authority. I have said, I will ask you questions. You will give me answers. And you are a good, godly person. I'm going to receive it as though you are my boss. A Christian who wants a relationship with God knows that God often teaches us through other people. Now, this is dangerous. So here's the question. Uh, how do I know who to listen to? Huh. Oh, there's, I'm going to try not to add a whole sermon inside of a sermon. Who, who, so who, who do you and I go get? And like, pastor said, go give people authority. So this person was on the side of the road, and I was like, hey, here's authority. Or you went to your best friend, or you went to your favorite author, and your, whatever. Here's what you and I know, Proverbs 12, 5. The plans of the godly are just, the advice of the wicked is treacherous. In other words, you can give authority to the wrong person, get the wrong advice, and it screw up all over the place. So I'm just highlighting something you already know, that the wrong advice is bad, and you can get it. So how do we know? The Bible helps us now. Philippians. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true. As a follower of Jesus Christ, it is your responsibility, you signed up for this, to seek after what is true. Not what is your favorite opinion or what makes you feel good, but thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and love. You remember what I told you about the list? What's first? Okay. And, and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Go after what is true. It is your role. If you want the right people in your life, you got to go after what's true. Some of you are like, how do I know what's true? Great question. Let's find out. 
And the people of Berea, these were early Christians, were more open-minded. That's what we want to be, right? Open-minded than those in Thessalonica. And they listened eagerly to Paul's message. They listened to the guy who's preaching message. Yeah, he's telling us about, about Jesus. This is awesome. But look what they did. They searched the scriptures day after day to see if what their pastors were teaching was the truth. Uh, I will never balk at that. They searched the scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. As a result, many Jews believed, as did many of the prominent Greek women and men. How do you know if it's true? If you involve someone in your life and you're, you're giving them authority to speak into your life as a Christian to help instruct you, and they tell you something, you're like, I think the sky's blue, not not what that person told me. You would look for what's true. Same thing in this case. Look to the Bible to see what's true. It's still true. Let's keep going. Teachability. Uh, accept correction. This is fun, right? Huh? Who doesn't want to wake up and be told what they're doing wrong? Uh, teachability. Accept correction. To learn, you must love discipline. Yay! And yes, this is the Bible. It says, it is stupid to hate correction. Look it up. I promise you it's in the Bible. Some of us think that when we get corrected, that person is automatically wrong and bad and we must cancel them. <laughs> Meanwhile, in Bible world, it is stupid to hate correction. I've been corrected well, multiple times and it hurts. I've never found it going, mm, that felt so good. Another one, please. But the amount of things I've learned from hateful people who have given me correction. Uh, let's look more at the Bible. Uh, fools have no interest in understanding. Does that help color it in a little bit for us? Fools have no interest in understanding. In other words, uh, they only want to air their own opinions. Enough said. Teachability. It's about acquisition and application. The reason I chose acquisition is because, well, that starts with an A. Just, there you go. Uh, teachability. Acquisition and application, meaning it's not just about acquiring information, it's about application. That's what I want you to get. If you want to actually be a teachable person, it's not, yeah, I'm teachable. You should see all the books that I have and the podcasts that I subscribe to, David. Uh, look, look at all of them. They're amazing and they're diverse. Cool. What are you applying? Those who trust their own insight are foolish, but anyone who walks in wisdom is safe. Now, sometimes you're like, yeah, wisdom, cool. You know, it doesn't say knowledge. It says wisdom. And it doesn't just say wisdom, it says walks in wisdom. In other words, those who take in the information, who acquire the information and apply the truth in their lives, it's those people that appear to be walking in a healthy way. So, since all of you are taking notes, thank you. Let me leave you with this. How can I become more teachable? My summary of the sermon, but even adding a little bit, but I, I, here's my summary. If you're interested in actually making sure that you're a teachable person and you want kind of a bit of a, I need a test, uh, have at least one Christian coach in your life. 
When you read the Bible, it might say the word like uh, discipler or disciple maker. Whatever word you want to use, I'm just going to use a little bit more common language here. Have at least one Christian coach in your life. I put Christian there on purpose. Are we clear? If you want to actually follow God and walk in his steps, you're going to need someone who is also doing that, likely has been doing it longer than you have, who might have some wisdom and experiences that you can learn from. So have at least one Christian coach. Am I saying that you can't have any other coaches in your life who are, who are far from God? You're not allowed? No, I'm not saying that. We're talking about a relationship with God right now. And so if you want to have a, like a thriving relationship with God, you need at least one in your life who can speak with full permission. Ask questions. You know, I have coaches in my life, no joke, who won't let me meet with them unless I have, I have questions. Like, literally, I have to write them down and submit them. It's annoying. I'm a grown man. Come on. These are not my bosses. I'm not I've literally had to do preparation. I'm not allowed to even approach them. No joke. You're like, that's cruel. No, uh, we've learned a lot as a church through these people. Take notes. Take notes. Take notes. Take notes. Take notes on what that person said. Anytime I meet with someone, they're like, hey, David, I want you to coach me. I want you to talk to me about some stuff. And I start talking, and there's nothing being written down. Not arrogantly, but I say, all right, I think we're done. We're good. And if they say, well, what's wrong? I was like, well, when you're ready to write down the answers to the questions I'm telling you, because you're a normal human being that forgets, as I do, then, then this matters. That might sound mean to you, but I want to teach teachability. So when I coach pastors, you need to know this. When we sit across from each other, there's a notepad or a phone and there's stuff getting written down. Even if it's junk that they're just trying to appease me, that's fine. <laughs> Prove your application. On a regular basis, you should be able to look at the notes that you've taken from the questions that you've asked and the coach that you've presented them, and you should be able to prove your application. I give you this because this is what I also have to do with my coaches. Every time that next meeting I have with my coach, you know what I have to do? I have to send one example of what that person taught me last time and what I did with it. And that is the key to unlock their office for me to get to them. This has been profound for me as a dad as a pastor, as a husband, as a friend, as a Christian. I hope you're teachable, and I hope you've received it. Here's one extra step. If you missed any part of this series, I would love for you to go back on the internet if you're not already there, watch it, take notes, and start applying. And then we become a church is full of teachable people. Let me pray for us. God, thanks for letting us gather. Thanks for the lessons that you're trying to teach us. Lord, would you open our hearts up to them? I imagine every single one of us has something to learn from you within the next 48 hours. God, would you help our hearts just to be soft, pliable, that our minds would not be defensive, that our opinions and and sensitivities and feelings would not be so in an uproar that we would refuse you? Lord, would you just soften our hearts and make us ready to learn what needs to be done in our world today to glorify you, to draw us close to you, to love others, and to love you. We pray this in your name. Amen.